Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the December 23rd, 2012 Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast devoted to the discussion of current events and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and with me, as usual, in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. And today we would like to discuss with you the following topics. Uh, The big topics of the week, if you turn on any of the big news shows, seem to be the fiscal cliff and... The Newtown Massacre slash gun control. Those are the big topics out there. We are going to talk about those a bit. But in addition, we have Sweden allowing a private market for healthcare or privatization of healthcare, or so says a headline in The Guardian UK, but we'll analyze that and, and see how private it really is. And then finally, we will talk a little bit about Christmas itself. Uh, Someone in the chat room here is saying Merry Christmas to us. Merry Christmas to you guys there in the chat room. And we will uh, commemorate Christmas in the traditional, well, it's become traditional objectivist way, which is looking at a classic essay by Leonard Peikoff, Why Christmas Should Be More Commercial. Yes, Christmas is capitalistic, as I think the only pundit that I've seen actually talk about that is Greg Gutfeld. He actually was on O'Reilly, and he was making a comment back and forth with O'Reilly about how presents and everything were capitalistic. Uh, maybe, Leonard Peikoff is probably the Maybe he the was only. Uh, inspired, though. Maybe Greg Gutfeld was inspired. Well, no, he yeah. wasn't inspired because it was after that that I emailed oh. him about this. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, there's this essay by Leonard Peikoff, Why Christmas Should Be Even More Commercial, More Capitalistic. We'll talk about that. So if you want to join in on the discussion, the number to do so is 760 760- Eight 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 five eight one seven. Again, that's seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven. Or you can join us here in the chat room, and we have a number of people. I expect that we would have a little bit of a lower turnout today because everyone's out on their holidays yeah. and stuff. So we thank you for joining us and sticking with us just two days before Christmas. Now let's get into the topics about the fiscal cliff and basically gun control. It turns out that I'm more motivated to talk about one of them, and Bosch is more motivated to talk about the other one, but we figure we'll hit both of them, and we figure there's probably a, a mix amongst you there in the uh, the audience and in, in the chat room as well. Here's my angle on the fiscal cliff, and it's because there is a rather uh, well-informed, very politically savvy uh, tweeter on Twitter. His name is Ken Gardner, and I often go back and forth with him, and I've seen him in the last several days bemoan the fact that the so-called Plan B failed in the House. And as far as I understand, Plan B is a plan to avoid the fiscal cliff that John Boehner, the Speaker, tried to see if he could get passed, and it failed miserably. As I understand, he was going to compromise with Obama by saying that they would increase tax rates only for families earning more than $1 million a year. And then, of course, there was probably some spending so-called cuts, but aren't real cuts in there as well. But, 
you know, they probably weren't anything close to what's going to happen if we go off the fiscal cliff. If we go off the fiscal cliff, there are going to be some actual cuts. Anyway, he tried to see if he could even put that out there for a vote, and apparently he didn't even bring it up for a vote because he was informed that they didn't have the votes. Why? Because of those stubborn holdout better Republicans and Tea Partiers who said, unless we have a plan with real cuts, and probably some of them said, you know, we don't want any tax increases as well, they said, we're not voting for it. So it failed. And Gardner, Ken Gardner, and I'm sure many others, and I've seen actually some pundits on the the Fox News this morning show with Chris Wallace, uh, they were bemoaning the fact that this plan B failed. Why? Because the plans that can now be passed to avert the so-called fiscal cliff are even, I guess, worse than Plan B. And if the Republicans do not agree to something before this deadline expires or a couple weeks after that or whatever, if they don't agree to something, then Obama's going to use his bully pulpit. And I read one little story. I read a headline where it said that he was going to use his opportunity during his inauguration address where I guess many people will be tuned in. I won't. Um, yeah, the inauguration address and then also the State of the Union address. He'll use those to blame Republicans for going over the fiscal cliff, and he's basically going to try to sink the GOP further than they are already sunk. So the question for you is, are you glad that Plan B failed? Because Obama plans to use the lack of a deal to smear the GOP. And yet the better Republicans or Tea Party members won't vote for a lousy compromise that doesn't contain any real or at least semi-real spending cuts. And as I said, some people said that the best strategy would have been to back the Plan B because the plans that they have now are lousy. Uh, The president's last offer, which was different than Plan B apparently was, to raise the rates for taxpayers making $400,000 a year or more, which corresponds, coincidentally, to the top 1%. So the Occupy Wall Street people would have been happy with that deal. But apparently the thing that is now on the table, the only thing that the Republicans could probably vote on really quickly before the end of the year, because all of them had to take their little break, right? Uh, On Friday, Obama offered, says this story that I have here at Fox News, a stripped-down version of his plan. And what he suggests, Obama wants them to say, well, look, both sides agree that there should be no tax increases for families making 250000 or less. Uh, I guess both sides agree. I didn't know this, but they want to extend unemployment benefits for those people who are currently on them, so extend them further. And then they would also agree to negotiate spending cuts after the new year. In other words, defer the default spending cuts that would take place under the fiscal cliff, right. you know, the so-called fiscal. Well, what was the name of that plan again? It begins with an I, and I'm blanking on it. Um, anyway, uh-huh. they they had these prearranged cuts that were going to take place if they couldn't agree on what cuts were going to take place, and these were implemented uh, when they raised the debt ceiling the last time. I don't know. Do you remember that? that I they, remember they, they had yeah. that. They had the yeah, debt exactly. ceiling compromise, right. and they had all these cuts that were going to take place if they couldn't agree. Well, they uh, haven't agreed. They keep putting it off, putting it off. So these are the ones. Sequ- yeah, sequestration. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> Deborah is my politically savvy person hanging out in the chat room. Thank you, Deborah, for being here. 
So the sequestration cuts were obviously uh, going to be something, and those would be put off if this stripped-down version of the plan was passed. So what do you think about this? Do you agree, as Ken Gardner and some other politically savvy people think, that the GOP need to save face, in effect, that they need to avoid being smeared by Obama? When aren't they smeared? When aren't they blamed? No matter what they do. Right. Obama was still blaming Bush for the last four years. I mean, they will always get blamed. You can't act that way. You can't say, well, if we don't do this, we'll get blamed. You'll always get blamed, idiots. Always. So just do the right thing. Do the right thing. Yeah, Deborah in the chat room agrees with you, Bosch. She says, yes, I'm glad that Plan B failed. She says Obama will blame the GOP regardless and that compromise is unacceptable. I mean, it's just, you know, these, um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, working with Obama, quote unquote, working with him, negotiating with him. This is a guy who hates the country, who wants to see it fail. You don't work with him. You work against him at every turn with, with whatever power that you have. Uh, Boehner has had power, but he's only used it to, to, to kowtow to Obama for some damn reason, as if uh, he's a surrogate of Obama. Yeah, Martin in the chat room says, I think there is no good answer. He says, if the Republicans had some backbone and could take the high ground... Dot, dot, dot. Yes, if only they could. And this is the thing. I mean, I, I think that the Republicans could, even though it's true that Obama has the most sympathetic news coverage. He's got the bully pulpit for these huge speeches. They I can, think the Republicans could put a consistent message out there if they, if they had a good leader. Speaker, yes. Unlike Boehner, if they had someone who understood um, you know, matters, if someone who, who had conviction, who, who had passion, who can speak Believe me, they can go around them to some extent. They can have their own, you know, go on Fox News, go on every buy, buy commercial time, go out there, say what has to be said, and fight him. Uh, when has Boehner fought Obama? He has not. He's caved. And yeah. I mean, I liked watching Paul Cave Ryan. Caved the house. Yeah, I liked, I liked call, uh, watching Paul Ryan bring Obama to task on Obamacare. Yep. That was very excellent. He's willing to take and him on, and the rumor, there's a rumor that he might be speaker and whatever, him or or, or an outsider. I was reading huh. this one piece on American Spectator that Mark Levin uh, linked to, that anyone can be House speaker outside the House. Anyone, a talk show host can be invited to be House speaker if the voters, if the, if the House members vote for him. Anybody, so I think I'm going to go and what do you think? You're going to be speaker yeah, of the House? I think so. Okay, I think that would be great, Bosch. <laughs> Okay. That, would, that would be excellent, and and then you would be the guy. So, Yay! So that would be awesome. Alan there, West, absolutely. Robert says Alan West, absolutely. Now, now here's the thing. I was a bit ambivalent, right? And if, if you if you follow the logic, we were ready to vote for Romney. Why? Because we had the recognition that the GOP was the only political vehicle that we had right now to save us from the horribleness of people like Obama. Right. Yep. The GOP was it. And I believe what Gardner is getting at, although I haven't read a whole lot of his stuff, I just know I, mean, I kept seeing him bemoaning the fact that Plan B was gone and that the GOP was going to be destroyed by Obama. Uh, you know, you could see that you say, look, the GOP for the next election, couple elections, three election cycles is our only hope for getting these would be socialist nihilists out out of there. And so the idea is that anything that's going to really further destroy the GOP, their reputation in the minds of our stupid gullible public, ha, 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 um, 
is bad and that Obama is basically going to convince all these people who don't know better that it's all the GOP's fault, even though we know that it's the better members of the GOP and the Tea Party who are standing right. up. They're drawing the line somewhere at least. Yeah. We are they're the party saying, of, of yeah. a small government, of low taxes. This is what we are, presumably. Most We're, of them are. But. Yeah, that's what they're supposed to be. So so there's that issue. But there, And this is, this is why I actually think this is a real question of strategy, right? Um, that people, reasonable people, could disagree about this issue. I think I'm leaning towards the... Uh, opinion that you have, uh, that Deborah in the chat well, room. You, you don't have. negotiate with the enemies of America, which is Obama is. You don't work with them. You don't. You don't uh, right. try to. Well, we'll compromise a little. We'll, we'll give you eight hundred billion dollars. Uh, you know, I mean, this is. Well, we don't. We don't. Scary stuff. We don't want Obama too, or we don't want a third term for for Obama in two thousand sixteen. So this is, I think, part of the thinking of people like Gardner. But let me um, let me tell you two things that I know for sure. One is I agree with Laura Ingram, who on Fox News this morning said, if going over the fiscal cliff is so bad, why did all of our politicians uh, go on their Christmas break? Why did Obama go to Hawaii, you know, et cetera? And why can everyone talk about it openly? I, you know, I mean, all was talk about fiscal cliff. I mean, if it's that bad, no one would. Terrific. I mean, right. it just wouldn't happen. Right. And so that's one thing I know. The other thing I know is that if they pass, this stripped-down version of Obama's plan that they're talking about, I think that would be a disaster. Yeah. And let me explain why. Um, again, remember the stripped-down version of the plan is that they say, look, we both agree that there's going to be no tax increases for families making 250000 or less. So that means that taxes will go up for families making 250000 or more. Uh, they're extending the unemployment benefits. That's not the part that bugs me so much, although it bugs me too. Uh, and then it says that they're going to defer the spending cuts, and then they're going to negotiate later. Okay. My concern with this is that if they suspend those cuts in the sequestration, which uh, Deborah helped me out with the term there in the in the chat room, uh, if they defer those cuts, what incentive is there for Obama to come back to the table? To negotiate, he doesn't want any cuts. No. We have seen it, it's so funny because another thing that I, I saw on, on Fox News this morning it was pretty funny. Um, Chris Wallace called Obama on the fact that in the plans that Obama has put forward, there are more spending increases than there are spending yes. cuts. And of course, the spending cuts aren't even real cuts. No. We've heard your own explain uh, that many times. Uh, so there's actually more spending increases. And it was so funny because Juan Williams, who's an apologist for Obama, was on Fox News. And Chris Wallace says to him, you know, there's more spending increases than there are spending cuts. And Juan Williams says, but it's only a little. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, I thought that was the funniest thing. Yeah, he, had, he had to admit that there was really no spending cuts at all in Obama's plan. So if they pass this stripped-down version, if the GOP passes the stripped-down version, their name is Mud. Yep. Their name is Mud. And, you know, I, I, earlier this week on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on, on Facebook, I posted a comment about the language that John Boehner has used in speaking mm. about this deal about the fiscal cliff. And Boehner was talking about, quote-unquote, protecting Right. protecting right. most Americans from a tax increase. Right. And, you know, people tried to correct me about this and say, you know, Boehner doesn't really understand anything. But if you use the word protect, yeah. 
He knows. If you use the word protect, then somewhere implicitly in your subconscious, you know it's bad. even if you don't know it explicitly, and he's an idiot explicitly, yes. whatever, he recognizes that taxes are an initiation of force. Absolutely. They are stealing from people, and that and he, they are something that people need to be protected yes. from. You don't you you don't use the word protect no. unless you recognize that there's some sort of an assault on this person. No. There's an attack, and taxes are an attack on people. They are an initiation of force against people, and insofar as you increase the rate, you're just increasing the rate of stealing from everyone. And I said, look, you protect most people from it. The ones that you're not protecting are the people who are making above a certain level, whether it's 250000 400000 which conveniently gets you to the 1%, yeah. or it's a million. Those people in a proper society, which means I think for the most part, because I think we have a decent society here, for the most part, these people who are making all this money, that means that they are providing even more value than the money that they're making to society. Yep. You know, so again, if I if I sell a product, I have a certain sale price, say it's three dollars for the product. People who buy the product have decided that the product is worth more than the three dollars to them, which means that I get the three dollars, but I am providing to other people value way in excess of the three dollars. Okay? Yep. So these people who are making two hundred and fifty, four hundred thousand, whatever it is that they're making, they're providing even more value than that. And you've decided, politicians, blah. Um, that they don't deserve to keep their money. And in fact, they deserve to keep less of their money than us who haven't been providing all this value. I mean, yeah, each of us provides more value to the extent that we have income. But these people who provide even more, and typically I would say the people who have the highest incomes probably provide even many, many more times. I mean, imagine Bill Gates, who's one of the richest people, when he was still you know, putting all of his efforts into Microsoft. Imagine how much value he put out into the world Absolutely. multiple times beyond the amount of money that he took home. Right. And what are you saying? You're saying that they aren't worthy of protection, right? They aren't worthy of protection. So that's the language that Boehner uses. We protect most people. He also said something the old day uh, about, he was, he was talking about tax hikes and goes, uh, where are we going to get it from? The rich. He actually said that. In an almost joking manner. Well, and, and that's Democrat speak. Yeah, and, and and he might be saying, well, you know, you'll be it happy does, it because it's matter. the rich or whatever. It doesn't matter. He but, said it. He yeah, said it. Yeah. Let them say it. Yeah. Let them say it. By the way, uh, Deb, Debbie says uh, the exception, you know, about the rich uh, would be politicians, lobbyists, etc., who get rich using political influence. Absolutely true. Exactly. They go into Washington. They're not rich. They leave. They're incredibly wealthy. Who knows what kind of insider All trading? All the crony capitalists. There's a lot of crony capitalists. But if you put aside the crony capitalists then those people are typically providing more. And it could be that, you know, the reason that Obama falls into this so easily is because all the salaries that he's gotten and the money that he gets from his book and everything else, he doesn't feel like he's earned it. Absolutely right. It's it's a book of lies. He made most money off his books. They're lies, you know, so. So did anybody in the chat room or anybody who wants to call in, again, that's 760 888-5817 again 760-888-5817 are you convinced at all that we need to save the reputation of the GOP and as a matter of yeah. strategy yeah. they need to pass something like plan B that's before the end of the year that's when I think your mind's warped by uh, politics you know I mean I think we have been saturated with politics every single day to the point where some people start sounding like politicians non-politicians and that's terrible 
Martin in the chat room, who I happen to know is from Sweden, so he doesn't have a whole lot of say on this, but he says no. So thank you for coming out on, on behalf of uh, values here in the United States. I actually got this question into Jaron Brook, who's the head of the Ayn Rand Institute, and just asked him what his opinion was. And again, I think reasonable people could disagree about this, but I'm I'm being won over to the side of uh, of Bosch, of Debbie, and now let me read to you from Yaron. Yaron uh, says that Plan B was a sellout. He says if the problem is spending, any plan that does not cut spending significantly should be voted against. Taxes be damned. Better to have the cliff. At least it cuts spending. Absolutely. So that's end quote from an off the cuff uh, comment from from Yaron. Uh, I mean, this is what I say. This is why I think it would be a total disaster if they pass this stripped-down version of Obama's plan as a stopgap measure. Why? Because it, de- it defers the sequestration cuts. And right. if once, you've, once he's got a deferral of those passed, we are toast. Right. There will never be cuts. You will never see nope. any cuts. Now in the chat room, uh, Zach is playing devil's advocate. He says, come on, Martin. Martin is our, is our Swede. He says, you know Buffett is paying less taxes than his secretary. Okay, now remember, Zach, it's not fewer taxes but or less in taxes, but he's paying at a lower rate. Um, yeah. Tim says Republicans can only save their reputation by walking away. Of course, absolutely right. You yeah. Know, and I, Say what they want to say. Do what they want to do. Say, we want this, this, this. That's that. Walk away. And then the, let, let him deal with it. Yep, but then you need someone principled to be the leader, no, the one who gives the message. I think Boehner thinks he has to negotiate with Obama. He has to work with me. He has to compromise. He, he thinks that's part, that's his job, I mean, and not to represent us, but to help Obama get what he wants. But, you know, we want a little do too, so let's just work it out. It's just, I mean, his political, his political capital right now is tanking. And he might go away, and I hope he does. I hope the Tea Party guys has finally overcome him because he he actually purged at least four members of, of the Tea Party from uh, from positions of, of power recently. And I hope it'll be the revenge of the, of the Tea Partiers. Get him out. That Get him out. That would be great. I would be at least glad to see somebody standing, not necessarily on principle, but at least drawing lines somewhere. Hmm. And it'd be nice if they named the principle and said, yes, this principle was already compromised or betrayed long ago we have involuntary taxes uh you know we've got uh you know this out of control spending so in terms of principles we're not dealing with anything but nonetheless we need to draw a line somewhere that would be great to hear out of these politicians i think here in the chat room, says uh, Larry says that this is hardly a speed bump compared to the real fiscal cliff ahead. So this fiscal cliff, and that's the thing. Probably it's not all that bad. Again, I think Laura Ingram was right too that if it was so bad, why didn't the politicians stay in Washington D.C.? They either didn't stay in Washington D.C. because they don't think it's that bad, or they realize that there's no chance of reaching a deal. Or maybe they think that they're going to go ahead and vote at the very last minute for this horrible stripped-down plan, and they're going to put a bomb in everything. Uh, One thing, again, that I hope that they will never do, and I haven't heard any indication that they will, is give Obama a blank check with respect to raising the debt ceiling. That would be a complete disaster. But then again, if he can just keep spending and spending, you know, isn't that, in effect, going to be raising the debt ceiling? So this is... Not fun at all. Um, let's see. Robert in the chat room says, 
Barack Obama has never compromised, that Republicans should learn from them. And maybe that's what they're realizing. <laughs> Kathy says, is the fiscal cliff another Mayan apocalypse? And it could be another year 2000. Remember the year 2000 problem? All of our computers were supposed to go kaplooey at that point. So sad. Oh, Robert in the chat room says, I participated in a conference call with my representative a few days ago. He said, it was great to hear so many of my neighbors call on the congressman to vote against all tax increases, cut spending, and dump, dump Boehner, end quote. Robert, that is very encouraging. So it would be nice if that was also the sentiment all the way around. I have heard that Paul Ryan is in the running for maybe being the next speaker. Uh, some people, critics, have said that they don't want him to be the next speaker. Why? Because he represents failure because Romney didn't win. But I don't see that. He was the VP on the ticket, and he was the one who actually energized, gave that ticket any energy at all. So I don't see him as part of a failed ticket at all. I think Deborah in the chat room says, what? May I hope it's about the issue of Paul Ryan. Is that right, Deborah? You'll have to type in there and see if that's right. I, I was horrified. Yeah. Deborah says Boehner represents failure, not Ryan. And, and I agree with that. I couldn't even see people saying that Paul Ryan's day is up or something. So if you have a, a line of communication to your representative in the House, really, I would suggest arguing against anything with this stripped down version, this idea that they're going to put off the sequestration cuts and just negotiate so-called spending cuts later, and that um, Obama's going to get what he wants, which is to save the you know Bush-era tax cuts for only those Americans making 250000 or less. That's all that Obama wants. He's going to get exactly what he wants. He's not going to have any incentive to come to the table because he doesn't care about those spending cuts. I, I just... I just don't see it happening. Uh, now, we do want to talk about this issue of gun control. But as I said, Bosch is the one who's a little more motivated uh, to talk about that. He had to step out for something real quick. So when he comes back, we will. But So what, let me go ahead and move on to this topic of so-called private health care in Sweden. There is an article from The Guardian UK that has been passed around Facebook in the last several days and the headline is Private Healthcare, The Lessons from Sweden. And it was posted on December 18th at The Guardian UK. And the subheading says that the UK center-right has looked on enviously as Sweden has privatized much of its health service in recent years. So... Uh, the article sounds very encouraging at the beginning. It says, despite its reputation as a left-wing utopia, Sweden is now a laboratory for right-wing radicalism. It says, over the past 15 years, a coalition of liberals and conservatives have brought in for-profit free schools and education. So that sounds good. They have sliced welfare to pay off the deficit. That sounds unequivocally good. And then the third is they've privatized large parts of the health service. So that sounds good. Uh, the success is envied by the center-right in Britain, says the article. And then um, there's, uh, there's this great quote that a lot of people have thrown around. There's a corporation called Capio, and there's a, a hospital called St. Goran. And it, uh, it says, Capio stresses that St. Goran has low levels of hospital-acquired infections. So this is a private hospital. Low levels of hospital-acquired infections, patient surveys, record high levels of public satisfaction, 
And the hospital has also produced year-on-year productivity gains, something that state-owned hospitals cannot match. And then it says, Thomas Berglund, Capio's president, says the, quote, profit motive works in healthcare, end quote, and that companies run on, quote, capitalism, not altruism, end quote. So that sounds great too, right? Um, Excellent. It, I mean, it, it it sounds wonderful. Uh, they talk about if you if they go to the private hospitals, if you go to an emergency room, you see a doctor within half an hour. But if you go to the public, you know, publicly owned, you know, nationalized healthcare service, it takes hours, up to four hours, to see a doctor. Uh, but then, when you start reading further into the article, you see what's going on. It is owned privately, right? And they are for profit. However, really what you've got going in the system is just fascism. Why? First of all, who is paying the bills for these patients in these privately owned hospitals? It's the public. It's the tax. So even though you can choose to go to a privately owned hospital and get your care, it's still the government, the taxpayers, paying the bill. So taxpayers are still paying the bill. And, of course, what comes along with the taxpayers paying the bill, the government attaching strings yeah. to these private companies being able to own and earn profit. Semi-private, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's not really profit at all. I mean, it's not really private at all. The, you know, today, it's, it's basically like here in the United States, you can choose, if you're older and you're on Medicare, you can choose to go to a privately owned for-profit hospital, but nonetheless your care is going to be affected by the fact that it's the government paying the bill and that there's certain conditions upon these hospitals accepting the Medicare patients. Um, What uh, this Thomas Berglund, right after that great line that you've seen passed around Facebook this week where they say, you know, companies run on capitalism, not altruism, it says, and, you know, this is another quote from Berglund, says, we have just won the right to run the hospital again and will have to reduce costs by 120 million Swedish krona over 10 years. He says, that's our profit gone unless we keep reducing costs here, end quote. So what does that mean? That means that the government is giving them the contract, but it's on the condition that they keep taking less and less money per patient, which is, again, just the same kind of fascism that we have in healthcare mm-hmm. here. Uh, there was a, a funny part of the article where you've got a woman who doesn't believe that private oh. hospitals should exist at all, even mm-hmm. in this fascist model, and yet she herself went to the private hospital for health care yep. and was pleased <laughs> with the service that she got. Uh, she says, quote, the experience was very good. I had no complaints. There's less waiting than in other hospitals. I still do not think there should be private hospitals in Sweden, but it's happening, end quote. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. But that's the thing. It is still paid for out of taxpayers' money. Um, And and they are still having the, you know, the socialists and the leftist, you know, Democrats there in Sweden complaining about certain aspects of the system. So, for example, apparently these private hospitals spring up more in the wealthier neighborhoods, and that's where they're making all the money. And so one leftist complains that it's anti-democratic for them to allow, you know, a, a free choice as to where these private companies choose to open these privately owned hospitals. 
I haven't seen any indication in this article, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Again, go ahead and go to The Guardian UK. It was uh, Tuesday, December 18th. The headline is Private Healthcare, the Lessons from Sweden. I haven't seen a single indication that they're going further beyond this fascist model where the government decides which company has the right to run the hospital. Now, you know, it is the case, though, that, yes, the private companies are more efficient, but I think in this kind of mixed economy version of privatization where you're still having uh, the taxpayers. Oh, now, yeah, here's Martin. Martin says you have to look at the direction rather than the concrete situation. Because it will be easier to actually free the market now than before. True. Yeah. They are moving towards at least they're some, moving towards it, but it, some I, freedom. I, I, but don't, I don't see an indication that they're actually giving up the controls. And and my concern is, right, there's, there's a little uh, part in the story here where they talk about in one of the hospitals, and this is kind of gross, you know, they have those uh, Depends, incontinence, <laughs> undergarments for hospital patients that they wear. It's like right. diapers yeah. for older people, essentially. They said, and I don't know if it's true, that in one of these for-profit hospitals, they had the nurses actually weigh the soiled undergarment to see what the weight was. And if it was too light, they would put it back on so that they could still get more use out of it. So what I'm saying is that when you have not a purely free market system, but you have this mix of Mm. controls and you have the government setting an arbitrary number at how much per patient they can get, then you put a disgusting motive, you know, behind these companies, right. which is they have to save money, otherwise they make no profit at all. And if they don't make a profit, of course, they don't exist. Right. So you see weird things like this. And then when the private hospital gets blamed for this, and people in the chat room are saying, you know, bingo, this is right, the the uh, the private is going to get blamed for failures like that. Yeah. True. Stories like that are going to come up, and then all that that's the little wedge that then you're going to have back. to go ahead and revert back. Now, if it's part of a broader trend, and if you do have people who are explicitly in favor of capitalism and against altruism, and they can actually make this work in a certain way and Hopefully, not yeah. you know, do these horror story things about the undergarments, Maybe, yeah, maybe. This is a way to get a foot in the door and move more towards a market-based economy in healthcare, and that would be wonderful. <laughs> Fizzlenut in the chat room says, the government can have all my soiled undergarments. But this is the problem, right? In, in Sweden, the government is giving these so-called private yeah. companies the incentive the to make you keep wearing your soiled undergarment even longer if you're in the hospital, if it doesn't weigh enough for them to yeah. say, okay, we'll finally take it off. So that's uh, that's that's pretty gross. That is my concern. Um, yes, you know, in Britain says that they envy this, and mm. why? Because at least for the time being, you're getting these you know shorter wait times and all that. But unless they really try a free market, there are always you know you, you know the the saying controls breed further controls. Yeah. And I would say that even if you're on you know, if you're going in a different direction, if you're going in the direction of fewer controls because you're allowing at least so-called private ownership of these hospitals, you're still at an unstable equilibrium, and I think you're still in danger of going either direction depending on the underlying culture, the ideology embraced by the culture. So there's a lot of other factors there. I was encouraged to 
see that they're also going for private schools, but who knows? It could be exactly the same thing. It's a private school, but they aren't allowed to charge any more than the taxpayer-paid allowance per child, and then you'd still have some of the similar problems. Uh, The one unequivocally good thing is that they're actually slicing the welfare programs. Uh, That would be nice, but you still have some welfare. So, again, you could see, well, you know, our welfare program isn't working because so many people slip through the cracks and... Wait, blah, blah, blah. the chat room is talking about Bruce Lee, so we have to talk about Bruce Lee now for about a half hour. About a half hour on Bruce yeah, Lee? He's, he's yeah. great. Okay. A mind like water. Yeah, be and, like water. And, 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 why, and why do I know that there's this mind like water <laughs> idea from Bruce Lee? I don't know it be from like Bruce water, Lee. Be like water, my friend. I know it because David Allen of GTD talks about having but a mind like water. But does he cite Bruce Lee? I think he does. Okay. I think he does. He says he learns it. Uh, and Martin in the chat room who says he... You know, volunteered to be our expert on Sweden for the day. Thank you, Martin. He says it's kind of the same thing with the schools. He says, but once again, it's a small step, and and it's the kind of step that people have argued for here yeah, it's incremental, with respect right. to school vouchers. Yep, I right? know incremental. The, the school voucher program. Leaning, yeah. But in so in so far as strings come attached to yeah. these vouchers, strings come attached to the money, strings come attached yeah. to the ability to own the private hospitals and run them. I know. It's it's going to be at least, uh, you know, a, a breeding ground for some problems, potential problems. It was like voting in Romney, though. Same thing. You know, less bad. You know. So the chat room's pretty lively. Nobody's yeah. nobody's calling in to talk to us, so that's kind of mean of them, but that's okay. So, so Bosch, uh, I told them while, while you were out for a couple minutes mm-hmm. here that uh, you were more motivated than I was, really, to talk about the gun control issue. I just, you know, I just think that these people are always ready-made to pounce on the Second Amendment. Uh, they're ready to pounce on it. So any excuse to do that, like this, they think that they can control mass murderers. You can't control mass murderers. It's impossible. We still live in a free country. People can walk into a place and shoot up anything they want. But their idea is that they want to live in a country where, you know, again, I think politicians are so morally depraved that they think they have to publicly show that they give a damn about something, and this is part of that. I mean, this is just part of it, controlling guns, because guns are quote-unquote evil. You know, guns themselves kill, right? They call it, uh, what do they call it? Uh, what was the term? Um, assault weapons. Yes. You know, that term, what does that mean? I mean? Technically, what does that mean? Well, didn't you say that Congress tried to define assault yes, weapons and, and they, couldn't. they couldn't do it? And that's why I made this, yeah. this little poster. I said, ban salt weapons, you know, the, uh, the uh, salt shaker. The thing that that uh, that uh, Bloomberg you know wants to ban in New York more or less. Well, he has banned salt in a lot of ways. Robert but, in the um, chat room is referring people to Richard Salzman's Forbes piece this week on gun control. Good, yeah. good. I mean, I, I have so much to say. I'm going to just blather though. I don't well, know. Well, so so let me uh, yeah. ask you this question: Has anyone explicitly talked about banning weapons entirely? Well, when they say take immediate action on guns, like Bloomberg, yeah, he is saying on guns. That's what he's saying. He's not saying on particular guns. He's saying on guns. And when you got the governor of New York, Cuomo, who says basically, uh, well, you know, we're going to have to consider um, uh, confiscation. confiscation. Now, did he say confiscation of all weapons or so-called assault weapons? I believe he said guns. Guns. This is what makes it scary. Because, you know, you don't have to be a gun fan. You don't have to, you know, have guns yourself. But when politicians with power start talking about taking away guns from innocent, responsible individuals who have the right to have them, 
this is the scary stuff. This is where we're going now to the point where this is where uh, they smell more power. They smell dictatorship. They they smell the possibility of what do dictators do? Take all the guns away from the from the people. I mean, that's, that's one of the first things they do. So Robert in the chat room is posting a link to Richard Salzman's piece Good. in Forbes. So go I, ahead and go read it gotta, there. I definitely got to check says, it out. Gutting the Second Amendment is not the way to deter mass slaughter. And, also, and that's that's definitely yeah, true. It is. And, you know, Mark Levin was talking about uh, Obama and his speech, and he was attempting to say we are all somewhat responsible for this, as if anyone can relate to that scum murderer. As if you're, anyone you're, can relate you're, to You're talking about Obama's saying that we're yeah. all responsible? Yeah, I mean, in a way, we're all, we've all done something. We've all have some responsibilities. No, we don't. No, we don't. That guy is a freak. How often does a scumbag like that do what he does? How often? You know? Uh, tell me tell me one thing that you uh, told me about or tell the audience one thing that you in told me 20s, about. In the 20s, yeah. No, tell me about Ryan Lanza. His brother? Yes. Uh, his brother basically uh, posted on Facebook that uh, he he loves his brother. He always will until the day he dies. He misses him. Now, if, if the government wants to look at anyone besides all Americans, start looking at that guy and say, wait a minute, did this guy know something? He's sympathetic with him. He has he did not condemn him for his actions. He did, he said nothing about the victims. He misses his brother, and he calls himself the brother uh, who didn't murder a victim because his brother murdered all those people. So if they're going to look at anyone, look at that guy for right now. Just take a look at him. See what see what he knows. Was he involved in any way? I don't know if he was. Was I mean, it? Was, was it? Did he? Did he kill people vicariously through him? I don't know. But what I'm saying is, when a guy does that, and has no remorse, has no sympathy for the victims, calls himself a victim. Well, he he is a victim in the sense that his mother was killed by his brother. Okay, so but he lost his mother. Yes, from how did he lose his mother? Lose. Yeah, I mean, his what, brother killed what, his mother. What gets me is the sympathy for Adam Lanza expressed by Ryan Lanza. I mean, once. You know, and and he was saying something about the nature of Adam, like Adam was a good person, or something, or, 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 or like it was unfair to oh, call Adam names, or to something. call and, him the mass murdering scum that he is. That's yeah. un, that's unfair. I mean, once someone doesn't act like that, that is it's it, over. it wipes out everything it wipes else out that I value, knew about them. Any look, yeah. you know anyone? I don't care if they're nice neighbors. Now you find out that they're mass murderers. That quote unquote niceness is over, and part of that niceness would probably to get away with that mass murder. Kathy says they keep saying he was a genius. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. I agree, Kathy, because the point is is that once you know yeah. a person, there's certain sorts of actions, uh, you know, molesting children. Wipe out uh, any rape, value, any pre-value that the person may have had in your own mind. Wipes yeah. it out. Because right now all the guy is is a mass murderer of kids. And, and to try to sit here and, and talk sympathetically, I just, I really hate that. And this again uh, brings to my mind the culture that we have of so-called tolerance yeah. that Gutfeld right. points out in his right. book so eloquently, right? Because the idea is, is that we are going to tolerate pretty much anything yep. and we're going to say nice things about this Adam Lanza because after all he's dead and he killed himself. Oh, poor guy. This hmm. is terrible. We don't tolerate people who do these horrible and things. Also, and also, we say uh, we, we don't tolerate those who tolerate them, like right. like his brother. That's intolerable to hear that. That, that his brother said, "Well, I, I miss my brother." You miss your brother. You miss a mass murdering scum. You right. miss him. Right. He destroyed so many lives, including your own, and he misses him, and he has to put that publicly. Terrible. We actually have a caller. Yay! Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. 
Yay, hey, it's Debbie. Debbie. You know, I thought it might be um, from the area code, but I didn't know for sure, and I thought, yay, maybe it's Debbie. So how's it going, Debbie? Great. How are you? Good. So tell us what you think about any of these or all of these issues. Well, just, you know, I was kind of calling because you were asking, has anyone said just that they want guns banned outright? And um, I have heard on multiple occasions from somebody named John Lott, who's kind of a pro-gun rights yeah. activist. He, he either is or was a professor at the University of Chicago, and he was there when Obama was there. And he has recounted this experience with Obama where um, he said, approached him and said something like, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm for gun rights and, and I understand you're not. Maybe we could get together and debate it sometime. And Obama just said, I don't think people should be allowed to own guns. Mm. And he walked away and he was so, he wouldn't even speak with this John Lott guy like in passing after that. He just completely shunned him for the fact that he believes that people should be allowed to own guns, ordinary citizens. Um, so he has said himself that he's just completely unequivocally opposed to, uh, well, what he said was people owning guns. But the thing is that he's all for government having guns. And, um, you know, and, and as far as avoiding mass slaughter, uh, how much mass slaughter has been done by governments against disarmed individuals, you know, what, hundreds of millions. And when you compare that with the numbers that have been killed by a crazy individual who, the point. you know. Right, right. And um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put you on the mute for a second, Deborah, because we do have the trouble with the audio, but then I'll give her a chance to follow up. The one thing I was going to say, and, and the point that I've seen made eloquently time and again by the, you know, the standard commentators is if – there is going to be a measure of gun control, not banning. And I don't think that anyone is really going to propose a total gun ban and confiscation I right think now they, because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't pass. It's not going to pass. 100% one of them will propose it. 100% well, they will. But it, it's going to go down in flames. I mean, this is not what they're – so what they're talking about is some sort of so-called gun control. The question to ask is – for any of the measures that somebody wants to propose, because they're just using this yes, particular incident as an, excuse, yeah. as an excuse to propose whatever measure they what have wanted. wanted for years and years, right? For any particular measure, they need to ask whether that measure, if it had been in effect, yep. would have prevented Adam Lanza from doing what Absolutely. he did. Absolutely, and it would and not have. I think there was only one measure that I've heard talked about that might have prevented Lanza from Locking. doing what he did, which is a trigger lock, right. some sort of required trigger lock on a, on a weapon. Right. So that that's the only one that I heard of. Um, so so Deborah, I mean, I don't. What what do you think is going to come of this? They're going to try to do some sort of gun control, and it's going to be something that probably wouldn't have prevented the Newtown massacre, right? Yeah, I'm sure they'll try something. I, I'm sure there are plenty of them that would love to completely ban and confiscate guns. But, you know, I just want to point out that even if there were trigger locks or let's just say that there were absolutely no guns within the reach of Adam Lanza, you can make pipe bombs, you can use... I mean, there's plenty of ways that someone, if they want to hurt people... That yeah. they can do it without guns. You don't have to have guns if you're going to do something like this. It's not um, school with a bomb. This is in the I think 20s or 30s. Right. With and a bomb. Another thing is uh, Bosch found a story in which someone in China hmm. used a knife 
to to slice children. Twenty two kids. Twenty two kids. Yeah. Twenty two so kids in China. Are they going to call for knife control? I mean, is this is this where we go now? If someone chokes someone to death, uh, hand control. I mean, fist controls. If someone punches someone and kills them, yeah. this is a so, yeah. poison. I mean, there's just so many things. Like they're they're just going to have to put us all in straitjackets and in padded rooms if they don't want us to to be able to. <laughs> Theoretically capable of hurting one another, but it's the government that does the most damage, though. Uh, and and I do agree that if if there were more people who were allowed to carry guns, just um, like teachers and stuff, that I mean, I know if I had been there and this monster started shooting and I had a gun, I would have taken him out. You know, and and I'm sure there are plenty of other people who would have too, and and maybe that maybe that would actually have resulted in fewer people being killed. Yeah, and Bosch just said he would have unloaded the entire gun Absolutely. on this guy, whatever whatever ammunition that you had. I think the president of the NRA said it really well, that he said the mm-hmm. best uh, defense or the best way to deal with someone like with an, a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. The funny thing was Bosch and I actually watched a little clip of the head of the NRA delivering that speech. Mm. And the guy's looking at his notes. You know, It was watch, a great line, but come it was, on. It was a great line. He had to look at his but notes then, to say the answer to the best. But then, then also I have to add that he did say something stupid. He tried to blame video games and, and Hollywood. I think he tried to play that double game. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just stupid. Right. And then I've I've seen pundits on Fox as well say, Oh, it's our culture of violence. Gun culture. What does that mean? A gun, gun culture. culture, you know, and all this stuff too. So they're they're all trying to to blame each other. But but one thing, I mean, Deborah, you you got to agree with me now. I mean, even today things are pretty bad. A total ban on guns is not going to pass any legislature across the country, right? No. I guess. Oh, you know where? Pass. You know where? You know where it might, unfortunately, right? California. Yeah. Yeah. If it's going to be yeah. anywhere. Well, for now, we have a Supreme Court that's composed, I believe, still of people who would not, I mean, this could be contested. And, and well, Amy, you know more about the legal stuff than I do, so uh, maybe you have a an opinion about this. I think the Supreme Court wouldn't allow something like that to stand, uh, even just in California. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it would probably over- overturn today, definitely, definitely. So... Uh, Deborah, thank you for calling in and chatting. Anything on the other topics on either Sweden, right, or the issue? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, either Sweden or the fiscal cliff. Um, you know, just uh, I I think I've made some comments on Facebook. I'm really hoping that we can get rid of Banger and that this this really comes to fruition with the secret ballot uh, for the speaker election. And, um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my main comment, I guess, on that. Okay, great. So, as I said, everybody go and talk to your representative and make sure that they do not pass this horrible stopgap measure that allows Obama to basically walk away from all the negotiations, avoid the sequestration cuts, even the sequestration cuts, and get his – you know, save the people who make 250000 or less. He doesn't care about the people who make more than that and get his extension of the unemployment benefits. Basically, would just give Obama everything he wants and give him no incentive to come back. If they yep. do a deal like that, they are mud. So we have uh, several minutes left, and I've sort of been, I think, putting this off a little bit. This is kind of sad, right? Because Can I go clean my gun? I just, uh, okay. <laughs> 
Um, I've been putting this off a little bit because it just doesn't feel like a bountiful Christmas season Hmm. because we are supposedly here on the edge of the fiscal cliff. And it seems that no matter what the outcome is, the taxes are going to go up for some of the most productive people in our country. And that can only mean bad economic times in 2013. In addition to the uh, continuing increase in spending by Obama, of course, every time the government continues to spend, it is a further tax on us because they're basically, you know, uh, you know, putting us in debt and, and making the dollars him? worth less and what's less. What's going to stop Obama? Well, Boehner and his crew were supposed to stop him, and they haven't. They've been funding Obamacare. They've been funding everything that he put that 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 he passes yeah. without exception. So, so I think Deborah's right. It really would be satisfying to see Boehner out Get him and out see him. see him crying for a real reason. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> See him cry for a reason that counts. I think that Debbie said in, in, in the chat room, if Alan West was, then he'll make Obama cry, you know, that, <laughs> which he would. I mean, that would just be wonderful. It really he would. He would take him on, head to head. So let's, let's do talk about Christmas a little bit more, and we can try to imagine times that are going to be better sometime in the future because we are going to stay on task. We are going to educate people about not only capitalism and its benefits, but the philosophy that defends and is the foundation of capitalism we will continue to do so and then someday we can have a brighter time but the essay that i'm talking about again is a 1996 essay why christmas should be more commercial by leonard peakoff you can read it at peakoff.com so it's p as in peter e-i-k-o-f-f.com you can find it under essays and articles and in the essay he talks about what the origination of christmas was that Christmas, as we celebrate it here in the United States, is actually a 19th century American invention. And he questions the idea that the whole meaning of Christmas is about religion and self-sacrifice, that instead what Christmas is about is celebrating the bounty of a productive economy, which didn't exist until 19th century America. Why? Because we had industrialization and essentially free market capitalism, you know, with some exceptions. So we had this tremendous bounty. And then we were able to have people share it through the giving of presents. Um, We also had Santa Claus, which it didn't emerge as a symbol until 1822, there was an American named Clement Clark Moore, and he wrote a poem about a visit from St. Nick. So it was Moore and some other New Yorkers who invented the physical appearance, personality, came up with the idea that Santa travels on Christmas Eve in a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Of course, now I think you can watch, uh, who is it, NASA? Not NASA. It's somebody else, um, NORAD. NORAD will actually help you track Santa on Christmas Eve. You can watch (laughs) it all on the Internet. That's how much we've advanced now. Uh, But at the time, you know, when Santa first came and and we were having all these celebrations and stuff, all the religious Puritans denounced the way that we celebrated Christmas. Now they realize, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And all the but all the best customs of Christmas says uh, Peacock, and he did a bunch of research about the history of Christmas. From carols to trees to spectacular decorations, they all have their root in pagan ideas and practices. So the reason for Christmas is to celebrate reason, science, business, and worldliness, the pursuit of happiness. 
not religion or self-sacrifice. And of and course, it's there, fun. But there is one thing that both I think religious people and non-religious people can agree about at least part of the meaning of Christmas, which is sharing time yeah. with sharing good times loved with ones, your loved friends. ones, yeah, your friends, your family, your loved ones. So I do hope that all of you are uh going to be able to do that. <laughs> Zach in the chat room, right? Oh. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus whore and this reminded yeah. me of um, there was Red something Eye. that we saw discussed on Red Eye. There was a Samsung TV commercial. If you Google Samsung TV commercial Santa Claus, probably you'll Recent, see it. I don't. I, I guess I'll just go ahead and give it away. That yeah. the, there was an innuendo that Mrs. Claus was sending along with Santa Claus when he was going out and you know giving all the gifts to the the kids. Yeah. Uh, a video a sex tape yeah. for him to watch. Yeah. That was the innuendo during the commercial. And just, then the issue was whether that should have any part of it. No, it shouldn't. Yeah, no, it shouldn't. It's it, inappropriate. Santa, Santa, Santa Claus is for kids. It's kids, it's fun. It's, it's fun. It's not supposed to have this sexual innuendo no. to it. And uh, Greg brought it up thinking, um, I imagine that he would get some kind of a support because he didn't. he was uneasy about it. And everyone there was beyond it, like, oh, come on, you can't get offended by that. Yeah, That's they're, ridiculous. They're, they're libertarians, so they're not going to be yeah, judgmental about stupid. the Samsung commercial. It's inappropriate. It doesn't fit. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to hear about Santa having sex with his wife, with Mrs. Claus. You really don't. I don't. It's supposed to be a joyful celebration, and Santa Claus is supposed to be about giving presents to good boys and girls. That's another yeah. point that Peacock makes in this essay here, is that it's about justice. The bad kids get cold. Right. The good kids right. get presents. So there's so much that's good about Christmas. Don't mess it up by putting strange sexual innuendos in it, but certainly go out and celebrate with your friends, family, loved ones, and build up some great memories to share, even in these horrible times. Right. Uh, let's keep our eye on the ball, uh, keep doing what we're doing, and we are going to be back next week to talk about the new year, New Year's resolutions, along with some other stories. I, I think I'd like to take up the issue of the abolition of government schools, which is going to be a big yep. focus for 2013. So anything, any final thoughts there in the chat room? Uh, some people said, yes, they saw the Samsung commercial and it was disturbing. And I did. I find it disturbing. Absolutely. And I think this highlights the difference between objectivists and libertarians, yeah. where objectivists say, look, there is this character called Santa Claus, which is about children yeah. the nature of the character is destroyed if you make him engaged in these weird sexual innu innuendos so we're almost done bosh yeah. we should tell people how to keep in touch with us during the week uh what you do if you want to merry leave a christmas comment, anyone yeah merry christmas merry everyone christmas. If you want to leave a comment on this particular show, you go to don'tletitgo.com, don'tletitgo.com, and leave a comment on the post for today's show. There at the blog, you can also find all the other ways to keep in touch with me. Amy Peekoff on Twitter, Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. There's also a, there's also a link to Bosch Faustin's blog there. Uh, but most importantly, if you do like our podcast, please tell your friends because this spreads by word of mouth. Our mouths are only so big, and uh, we do appreciate your support. So have a good night, everyone. Merry Christmas, and we will talk next week. Goodbye.